Whoa, new intro, who dis? Welcome back to the Diabetics Doing Things podcast, where we're telling the amazing, untold, wacky, weird, and inspiring stories of type 1 diabetics from across the world. I'm your host, Rob Howe, and I wanted to let you know that we now have over 500 years of living with T1D on the podcast, and we're on track to be over 1,000 by the end of the summer, which is pretty exciting. I also wanted to chat about my new email series, Friday T1D Feels, where I send you a personal note, no fancy graphics or anything like that, about what I've been thinking about in the world of type 1 diabetes during that week. If you're into that, just go to diabeticsdoingthings.com and sign up. I'd also like to take a minute to talk about hashtag coverage to control. JDRF is raising awareness around the fact that most of us don't get to pick the insulin pumps we have, just the ones our insurance will cover. Just imagine if your cell phone was like that. Except this isn't a phone, it's what keeps us alive. So let your voice be heard and tell your insurance company that T1Ds and their doctors should decide what kind of pumps they use, not the companies. I'm looking at you, Aetna. United Healthcare, Blue Cross Blue Shield. Let's get this right. Okay, enough chatter. Let's get back to the episode. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Diabetics Doing Things. We're telling the amazing stories of T1Ds all over the world, and I'm very, very, very excited to introduce today's guest. Uh, calling me from California today is Whitney Lewis. How are you, Whitney? Welcome to the show. I'm good. How are you? I'm fantastic. Um, and for those who uh, who don't know Whitney by name, uh, you might recognize her as the Happy Pancreas from Instagram. Yes, that is me. <laughs> that, that's you, your alter ego, your alternate persona. Yes. Do people yes, do people stop you on the street and say, "Hey, you're the Happy Pancreas"? Um, not yet. Maybe one day. <laughs> yeah, we we all we all can can dream. I'm still waiting to be noticed um, as the guy with the diabetes podcast. I guess. So, uh, so Whitney, I know, uh, I know we're going to talk a lot about, a lot about travel today. We're going to talk a lot about, um, you know, enjoying and, and kind of softening the edge of, uh, of how we approach our type one when we're on vacation and traveling around. Uh, but let's get to know you a little bit first. Um, how, how is it that you became a, a target for a diabetes podcast? Tell us a little bit about your diagnosis story. Um, well, and it's funny you're asking about my diagnosis story because before, you know, semi-preparing for this, I was like, oh, I'm coming up to my uh, three-year anniversary, but now four years I will have had type 1. I don't even know where that extra year went, but in my mind I'm like, oh, January is three years. No, this January will be um, my fourth year of type 1, and I was uh, diagnosed when I was 26. Um, I'm 29 now, so January, this coming January will be four years. And so 26, I mean, you know, you lived obviously a, a good chunk of your life without type 1. Uh, what was that like for you? Um, traumatic, I guess to say it uh, simply and semi-lightly. Um, I was definitely in denial uh, for the first, I mean, definitely a few days, weeks, even in, into months. Um uh, I guess a little bit of a background on leading up to my diagnosis. I was I was really sick. Um, I was being treated for bronchitis. I was going to my OBGYN for things that were off balance. I was going to my PCP for you know just being treated for. I mean my immune system was obviously shot, so my body was just like breaking down in, in every area. Um, I had lost like 15 pounds, I guess. I mean, and as a 
as a girl, losing weight isn't necessarily always a bad thing. I had no idea why I was like losing weight, but I was like, okay, like maybe I'm becoming extra healthy. <laughs> I don't, I don't really know, but obviously it was the, the opposite of, of what was occurring. My body was just really stressed. Um, but yeah, uh, what was happening? I guess I was really sick. You know, getting I pretty much got everything done except for blood work, which was a little frustrating. Um, you know, going in and out of the the doctors, and you know, kind of getting on different medicines to kind of treat treat the symptoms of everything, really, but controlling my blood sugar. So, yeah, and and I think you know when you're um, you know when you're that age, right? You obviously have had a little bit more time in your with your body. You know, like like you said, you know, you're are you just uh, are, are, am I just suddenly becoming more healthy? All of this, uh, healthy choices are suddenly paying off in dividends. Um, yeah. and then, you know, you're going to your different doctors and, uh, you know, as I've gotten older, one thing I've learned, I think the most is that there, if I'm sick or something's hurting, like there's a doctor for that. So, mm-hmm. you know, and I think also another thing that I normally hear from, uh, type ones who were diagnosed a little bit later, um, is a little bit of misdiagnosis. Did you experience any of that? Um, you know, kind of as you were going through your different physicians, um, trying to identify what was going on? Um, well, yeah, I mean, like I said, I was being treated for a few different things, but my, uh, my blood was never taken. Uh, so I was being treated for UTI, bronchitis. Um, and when my doctor finally did want to take um, my blood, I, I showed up at the blood test. I didn't realize it had to be fasting. So they skipped the, the, the blood sugar test that day. Oh, so no. they, and they didn't even like, they were like, well, we'll wait till tomorrow. Or I kind of, I, it's kind of vague. I don't really remember like when, but they had skipped that. So then I had to go back again to get it redone. And then, um, leading up to like, you know, those days where I found out, um, or before the days that I found out, um, a super random symptom. And I don't know if anyone else had experienced this, but my pulse was excessively high. My pulse would be like, I would check it like with my phone or at work. I was working at a oncologist office at the time. So it was really easy to check my pulse and, um, it would be like 200 and 230 and I'd have to just sit down and like, oh my why? Gosh why am I just so exhausted? And I would just feel like I was going to pass out. And then again, being in an oncology office where everyone's getting like their chemo, they, they were giving me fluids just because I was just, I felt like so dehydrated and excessively thirsty. Um, uh, I'm sorry. What was the question again? <laughs> no, I, I just, yeah. Talking about misdiagnosis or, or, you know, different things. And it's so funny, like how luck and just sort of like, um, serendipity almost because like if you're working at an oncologist's office you have access to fluids so hey yeah we'll just give you some fluids if you're dehydrated and but like 200 plus pulse that's like almost max heart rate I know obviously my body was just you know not happy um but finally when my uh my labs came back I woke up in the morning it was like an, an off day at work um so I I woke up looked at my phone, generally keep my phone on silent. And I had like five missed calls and all these voicemails of, you know, and upon checking them, uh, stated that I needed to go to the emergency room, that my blood sugars were extremely elevated. So in the back of my head, I'm like, 
again, having no uh, history with diabetics, didn't I didn't know really. I mean, obviously I knew what that meant, but not really. Um, but so them telling me to go to the hospital for this, I'm like, okay, what's going on with my body? I guess, guess I need to go to the hospital. So that's what I did. I drove myself to the hospital. I texted my husband. I'm like, uh, the doctor told me I need to go to the hospital. So that's what I'm going to do. Even though I felt like, even though I was still in this like sick state, I felt like, okay, like I was still functioning. Right. Um, so I checked in and. Um, finally when I got in the back, like nurses, uh, were like, well, where's your, um, have you taken your, have you checked your blood sugar today? Like, why is it so elevated? Have you taken your insulin? And again, like all foreign questions, I was like, uh, I don't know what you're asking me. Like as of now, I, I was completely unaware of, of this was occurring to my body. Um, so they checked me in. I was, you know, staying, I stayed in the ER for, um, I guess it was a day or two and, um, everyone was really kind and helpful, but they did send me home with type two diabetes information. So that was my first experience in the hospital was being sent home with type two, uh, info. So that was kind of interesting. So they did diagnose you with type one, but gave you the wrong take home stuff. Oh, uh, well, technically I wasn't diagnosed in the hospital. My blood sugars were elevated, obviously. So I was, you know, given fluids and, you know, being taken care of to lower my blood sugars, but no one had told me I had type one. It was just your blood sugars are elevated. Like, do you eat bad? Like all of these like generalized questions. And then they sent me home. They sent me home with a type two diabetic info. Um, and thankfully, uh, my mom was like, Mm, let's just wait, you know, on this, like, because they subscribe metformin as well. Right. Um, so she was like, you know, and she's very intuitive. Thankfully, she's like, let's wait on this. She got me a endocrinologist appointment for the first thing, uh, the next morning. And then that's where, um, after meeting with her, they told me, or she had told me that I had type one, which is very different than type two and that it's autoimmune and that I'd be pricking my fingers. And she, you know, took out the pricker and like showed me how to do it and showed me my insulin. And it was just, um, very overwhelming to say the least. I went out to the car crying and just, like I said, I was in denial for, for quite some time thinking it would go away. So focusing on like, cause I want to focus on a couple things because it's so weird. And I, and I say this, I guess is it's sort of strange. The position that I've put myself in is that I talk to a lot of diabetics. Like that's obvious, right? It seems obvious, but because of that, I talk to a lot of diabetics. So I hear a lot of diabetics diagnosis stories. Mm -hmm. It's so shocking to me. And I think this is just the function of me being aware of it is that almost everyone I've talked to, and this is probably nine out of 10 people who have been diagnosed past the age of like 23 yeah. have all had some sort of type two initial type two diagnosis and prescribed metformin. Mm -hmm. And then some amount of time goes by either a day or two in your case, or sometimes years in a couple of other cases that I've talked to before, like they go see an endocrinologist or, you know, the, the metformin isn't working and they're, and their diagnosis is like fully realized as mm -hmm. type one. And sometimes people have to switch doctors because their doctor just flat out doesn't believe them. So yeah. I think there's like a serious issue in terms of type one awareness later, you know, past the age of 16, 
um, which is when I was diagnosed. And even then, they were they were saying that I was quote unquote older. But we know now that like almost half the diagnosis every year in the United States are people over the age of eighteen. So anyway, that that was a little bit of a tangent. Um, but back to the denial piece because I think that's also an important part of it. Um, type one diabetes, as they I'm sure they told you, is is obviously for life. So. Yes. How how did that denial manifest itself? Um, I spent a lot of time on Google. Uh, I was Googling my symptoms. Uh, well, when I was first diagnosed, like being at the endocrinologist, like it was like the one time in my life I'm like, maybe I'm pregnant. This is pregnancy. Like this can't be a disease. My body's just responding in a very strange way and, you know, it's stressed and off balance and everything will come back around, you know? Um, and then I'm just a naturally a researcher at heart. So, you know, if you tell me like, even if I, you know, go see my naturopathic doctor or any doctor, if there's some level that's off or if there's some symptom that has been given to me or if I'm feeling a certain way, uh, you know, I, I researched the heck out of it and that's what I did. And obviously I found lots of things. Some of them, um, well, most of them were untrue. You know, I looked into like Ayurvedic treatment, going to this retreat, this like thousands of dollars retreat that's going to like, you know, inspire my blood sugars to normalize themselves. Like my body is just stressed. I'm just stressed. Like I'll heal myself. Um, so a lot of that. Um, and I just, I just, I'm naturally like a very like free spirit and, and it is something that, um, you know, type one doesn't necessarily allow for in the midst of day to day, 24 seven management. I'm just used to snacking. I'm used to just randomly, you know, adventuring and, you know, just having that constant, um, stressor, um, in the back of your head was just, was just something I just didn't want to accept that I, I had to carry pretty much for the rest of my life. And, you know, unless we, we somehow are blessed with the cure. So it's so weird, right? Like we're in 2017 quick fix life hack culture. <laughs> and like, so to get handed a diagnosis that is a incurable B requires like day to day attention and is different every day is sort of like super like jarring almost. Right. It's like, I can't, I, as a as a young person or like a person who loves the internet and loves like you know reading about different people's approaches to things like it's hard to believe right that there's something out there that's so life altering and yet at the same time you're able to manage it and so it's like oh yeah there's got to be a better way to do this and there really just isn't <laughs> yeah there isn't. I've, I've searched high and low. <laughs> yeah. Go Google can be like your best friend and worst enemy sometimes, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. Even at work, like I, you know, I would go back to work again. I was in the medical field. So a lot of the doctors that I work for worked with were like, you know, very caring and, you know, asking me how I was and that, you know, I got this and you'll be great. And I'm like, I know, but this, you know, it's not forever. You know, I'm like telling them, like, even though I know in the back of their heads, they're like, okay, Whitney, like, just give her her time and give her her space. And, and that's just really what I needed. And I mean, even like I said, almost four years into it, it, it it's, it still is a lot. And there's no way I don't think anybody can, you know, say that managing your blood sugars are is ever easy. I just think it's just this, 
Um, one, it's just an opportunity just to learn your body. Um, and that's just, I guess, one amazing thing that it's just helped me do is just to be really in tune with my body, really in tune with what foods do what to my body and just serve my, myself better, whether that's like working out more or just, you know, pouring back into myself. So my body and, and mindset can be at the healthiest possible. Uh, and I want to focus on that for a minute because, I'm a huge believer in listening to your body. I think my first coach that ever uh, stressed that with me was when I was 18. So I'd only had diabetes for a couple of years, but um, I had never really had a serious personal trainer. And I was um, preparing for the jump from like high school basketball to college basketball. And I wanted to prepare. So I like showed up one day and I was like, man, like coach, I'm like beat down. I'm tired. He's like, yeah, listen to your body. Like, we'll just do something different today. And that like changed the way even through like even today where like I wake up with either some pain. It's like listening to that and being in tune with that is so big. But also like I think having diabetes uh, tunes you in even more because there's this extra layer of stuff that you can listen to and these extra signals that you can be in tune with. So uh, let's start with food. Like uh, you, you talked about, you know, making sure that you make choices in your food that make you feel good or make your diabetes good. Like what is what does that consist of maybe for you? Um, well, before having type one, I was definitely, um, I'd say I was still like a generally clean eater. Um, my mom and well, my parents both generally ate like pretty well. So, you know, being diagnosed and having to be more, um, I guess aware of what I was putting into my body wasn't this huge life altering change where I feel like some people do have to, um, kind of like struggle through that where it's like, wow, I was eating A, B, and C before, and now I can't even really think about eating that now. Um, so that's like one thing I'm thankful for because it wasn't too big of a, an adjustment for me. But um, with type one, I'm definitely more mindful of just feeding my, or like, yeah, fueling my body with um, just healthier foods. I mean, our body, especially having an autoimmune disease, we're just in this constant, our bodies are in this constant stress state. I mean, it's in our bodies attacked itself. And a lot of type ones I've learned with reading and hearing people's stories and the people that I follow, they generally have more than one autoimmune disease. And I just have this, I guess, goal and, and passion to make sure that I do not experience any other type of disease in my life. And even though sometimes Sometimes there's, you know, there's things that are out of our control and there's only so much we can do. We can't put too much uh, stress on ourselves. Um, but just, again, going back to just eating really clean, getting rid of things that are refined. Um, I do, I try to do like one cheat day a week where I'm just like a free bird and I just, if I want a cookie, I'll eat a cookie. If I want to eat a large acai bowl with tons of sugar, I'm going to eat that. And if I encounter a lower or high, I'll, I'll just even though it's naturally going to be a little stressful, just be content that, you know, six days I work my butt off to eat really good. So that's generally like my, my go-to routine as a type one. And I can already tell you and I have a lot of the same views on things. And I think specifically with like a mindfulness and B like gentleness, like those are two things, like, especially towards yourself, um, mm -hmm. that I want to make sure that we talk about a lot today. Like, uh, and also acai bowls. I was in, I know you live in Southern California just from your Instagram, but I was in San Diego last weekend and I had to have an acai bowl because when in Rome, you know. Yeah, that's right? what you do. When you're in San Diego, you get an acai bowl. If you come back, I will take you to my to my favorite acai place. <laughs> Perfect. I'll definitely take you up on that because that is like a, uh, that's a cheat day, like mandatory for me now when I'm in California. Can't, can't miss it. Um, yes. 
only like 80 grams of sugar in one bowl. So right, you know, so just like an entire day's worth, right? No, no worries. Yes, exactly. Um, so let's talk back about like the gentleness piece. So I think it's great giving yourself a day to uh, kind of reset like a cheat day. Um, and then also, you know, making sure that on your days where you are, um, you know, focusing more on, on what you're putting into your body, that you still have that like soft focus and that like gentle edge. Um, how do you manage that for yourself? What, uh, you know, what's your self-talk or what's your process like? How do you, how do you make sure that you're taking care of Whitney uh, while you're also, you know, looking out for your type one and, and, uh, making sure you're monitoring what you put in your body. Um, I guess I've gotten a little bit more, um, like, I guess, I guess extra like caring towards my body and what I've been putting into it over the past, like three months as I've been seeing a naturopathic doctor. Cause I've had, um, my antibodies, technically I have Hashimoto's, which is another autoimmune disease. Um, but I'm in the process of lowering the, the attack that's been occurring in my body. Cause again, because of stress and side note, uh, a lot of thyroid imbalances, uh, start in the gut. And what is the gut? The gut is, you know, based on what we're putting into it, uh, 24 seven. So I've been essentially forced and I guess empowered to really eat as clean as possible. Generally, I try to stick with, um, it's something called AIP, which is autoimmune paleo, which is kind of like paleo, but really strict. Um, but just being aware and listening to how my body responds to certain foods, you'd be very surprised. Um, and I, I feel like, again, so many people just in the midst of busyness, they don't really take the time or the, the investment just to kind of purge your body of certain foods that you have no idea are triggering this uh, inflammatory state within your gut, which ultimately um, is like this growing grounds of uh, increased risk to more disease. So like things like eggs. Um, I used to eat eggs like breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I mean, they're protein, they're fat, they're good. You throw vegetables in it, you throw protein in it, you whatever, I'll put an egg in it. Um, burgers, you put an egg on it. <laughs> um, I don't know about you, but I love eggs, but it isn't something that I eat anymore. Um, that's just like one small thing that I've learned that my body um, just doesn't like and just kind of learning what foods trigger um, stress and just getting rid of those so I can make sure my body body is at its happiest. I, I also love eggs, um, so I, 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 I kind of get how difficult that that may have been for you so props uh for you know taking the you know the maybe the not as much fun decision for your for your better uh, for the better of your body um some people know i'm i'm sort of like the de facto like whole 30 diabetic because i had melissa hartwig on the podcast early on and um you know she's been a very big supporter of what we do here um so I, i'm continually surprised at i just finished my sixth whole 30 um wow. and like even though I eat probably eighty twenty like a whole thirty like a very a, a fairly strict but I still have, uh you know when I want to have chips and salsa I'll have chips and yeah. salsa like in my normal life but I was surprised at like what a drastic, um change that had on my body like over the course of a month like the inflammation that it reduced the digestion pieces the energy like the the ability to think and focus and um I try to. I try to divide in and I've and I've only recently started to do this like in my everyday life divide my foods into three categories into like foods that make me feel good foods mm -hmm. that don't have an effect on me one way or the other and foods that make me feel bad and just mm -hmm. like let that be my decision as I'm like looking for what I'm going to eat and 
sometimes like simplifying it like that can just, uh, you know, make a huge difference on like what you're putting in your body. For sure. I think it's, it's really important. I've done whole 30 a few times myself and, um, I think that's probably what kind of sparked my ability to probably even go a little deeper and a little bit more strict. I I think going, you know, to one extreme to another where a lot of people fall off the bandwagon of doing whole 30 is because they're eating just so poorly, you know, just leading up to that, you know, so baby steps, I think is really important. Um, and ultimately the idea of increasing our, our sensitivity to our insulin is just so important because when our body is stressed and we are, when we are like filling it with refined foods, when we're, you know, eating sugar all day, when we're snacking all day, it's just, you know, we're not, we're not able to utilize this, um, the insulin that we're putting in our bodies all day. Right. And, and I think, because we all go through this on our own, um, through type one. Um, it's important for us to know that not everybody's like ratios are the same and everyone's insulin resistant, insulin resistance is, is a little bit different. So sometimes, especially when I see people share like dosage, uh, or like bolus, uh, ratios or like posts on Instagram, I'm always reminded like, um, what a big difference the diet makes because I had forgotten before I started really monitoring what types of foods I put in my body, you know, what my insulin ratios were. And they were, they were much higher, like, you know, Mm -hmm. like almost 30, 40% higher. And now Mm -hmm. just because of my body's used to what I, what I put in it, uh, I'm able to get better results. And so those things are like, you can't just go around saying my way is the best way because I can get this. But you remember is like incremental progress and, you know, all, all of life's great treasures come from compound interest. So just like doing a little bit good, a little bit of good every day for a long time. And you look back and you're like, wow, I really have covered a lot of ground. Yes, for sure. You are right. So, um, I want to shift gears a little bit. Um, even though this is like, I could talk about like putting good food in your body all day long. So, you know, me too. We'll do a separate podcast for that. <laughs> Perfect. I yeah, I, I really do. I'm gonna start doing, and I have a list of uh, group interview, like panel style podcasts that I want to do with people. So I'll definitely um, include you on like the, the the food and like diet one, I suppose. Awesome. Um, so yeah, we will have that one for another time. But this one, uh, I get a lot of questions and a lot. Of, I see a lot of posts and a lot of narrative uh, online about type one diabetics who are traveling, uh, and people who want to travel for an extended period of time. I I think now, especially like gap years after high school between college are like very trendy and like people travel the whole world. And, um, Mm -hmm. a local, one of my, uh, JDRF, uh, outreach community outreach. Um, I guess we're technically not co-volunteers, I suppose. Uh, her daughter is type one and she's been traveling the world on her gap year and it's just been causing a lot of uh, stress and anxiety for her mom. Um, mm-hmm. But I think it's so important for type ones. I, I've been very fortunate to travel a lot um, as a type one. I know you recently went on a trip to France, which is kind of, I think, how I got introduced to your uh, to your Instagram. And it was just an amazing story. And I love the sort of frame of reference that you provided. So let's talk a little bit about international travel and going from somewhere from like California to Paris. So literally like on the other side of the world and what that was like. Yes, it was a pretty long flight. Um, leading up to it, truthfully. And I guess, again, it's just like my, my style of living. I'm definitely not a perfect diabetic. And, you know, it had, even though it has, taught me a lot of discipline because you must have that to, to essentially survive. I'm not the, the best 
planner um, when it comes to planning too far for our head, but I knew that I needed the essentials, which were my uh, my insulin, you know, making sure I had extra needles, making sure I had extra test strips, making sure I, I had extra um, insulin. So, um, you know, made sure I had all of that. I did some reading. I've been reading, uh, think like a pancreas. I'm sure you've seen that on my Instagram. I've yep. created like a little cheat guide, making it a little easy. Cause that book is on another level, at least for me. So I figured why not help some people with that? But, um, you know, it was really important considering that you're on a flight for a really long time to be mindful of, of your dosing. Um, because, you know, if you are being sedentary when you're used to moving around like myself, whether it's like working all day, walking all day, doing your normal workout in the morning, you know, I was going to be on a flight for over 13 hours. So um, I did take a few steps, one being increasing my basal. I increased it by, I think, just two units. I didn't want to be too excessive, but I knew I was going to be sitting for a while and I didn't want to, you know, range on the higher end. Um, and just kept my snacking kind of at minimal, uh, just, you know, the go-tos, I guess, like fats, like nuts, um, and protein when we, you know, had layover and stuff, but trying to be very minimal in what I ate. So I didn't, I wasn't like experiencing these highs and lows in the midst of flying, which kind of, uh, the idea of that was more stressful than, than eating, you know, full meals while I was traveling. So that was helpful. And that's such a trap too, right? Cause like on the flight, especially international ones, uh, you know, they're, they're feeding you wine and, and drinks and the food is like high carb, like, you know, yeah. lots of preservatives. So it's like difficult to ingest and digest. And then, you know, you're sitting there watching movies all day. You're napping off and on. Like it's a, it, I mean, it can be a blood sugar roller coaster. Yes, for sure. Thankfully, on my flight, um, I did pretty well. Um, from what I could, what I can remember, again, I just kind of kept my meals as simple as possible, um, just like greens, proteins, nuts. Um, and I think that's the key. Obviously, if you really want to be whimsical, sure, eat the food that they're serving you on the plane. But like you said, it's it's full of preservatives. You haven't ate that meal probably ever in your life. So you have no idea how your blood sugars are going to respond. So ideally just pack light, but also pack like some yummy things like mixed nuts or, or something like that. I feel like was just like a good treat to have. Yeah, definitely. And I think again, planning ahead, almost like every, um, every type one interaction, like whether you're leaving the house to go to work or you're flying 13 hours overseas, um, yeah. taking that extra minute to just kind of plot that out. Um, yeah. so once you were in Paris, um, first of all, like, you know, uh, obviously for the, for people who haven't been to Europe, like you walk a whole lot more, um, because it's just easier. And like, you know, sometimes in, in older parts of different cities, like you can't drive. So, um, spending a lot of time on your feet. So again, probably adjusted your basil there, I imagine. And, uh, also in France, like the food is amazing and it's not a hundred percent, you know, autoimmune paleo, right? So Whole 30 either. <laughs> right, exactly. So, um, first of all, how did you prepare for that? What did you, what did you tell yourself as you're going into it and set that intention? Um, and then how was it? Um, well, my trip was amazing. Paris definitely exceeded my expectations. So anyone that hasn't been to Paris, I suggest that you plan a trip and, enjoy it because it was not only beautiful, but the food was amazing. Um, but leading up to my trip, uh, I generally, like I shared with you, my, my day to day diet is, is pretty 
I don't, I hate using the word strict. I just eat clean. I mean, I eat foods that, that still make me happy. I just try to get rid of, you know, anything refined and, and processed and full of sugar. But leading up to my trip, I told myself when I was there, um, I love croissants. I love anything with bread. And that is definitely something that, uh, I don't, I, I don't remember the last time I had a croissant, but going to uh, Paris, I told myself I was going to eat as many croissants as I wanted. And if I wanted to eat gelato or anything that I encountered, I just really wanted to fully embrace um, my time there and not let type one kind of steal away or rob um, that from me. And that is exactly what I did when we were there. Um, we did a lot of walking, like you said, and that I think saved me essentially just because in the midst of, you know, eating a croissant for breakfast and eating a bagel for, you know, for brunch, you know, with, with tons of carbs that I traditionally don't eat for breakfast, um, my blood sugars generally stayed pretty stable. I did have some, some highs, uh, randomly, you know, and we can discuss that later, but generally if we were walking and if we ate and walked and ate and walked, my blood sugars stayed great. And they're just as in control as they were when I'm being super strict with what I normally eat. So that was really cool. It's like, it's, it's great when a plan comes together, right? Like you, yes. you know, <laughs> your operation eat the croissants was a huge success. Yeah. Eat the croissants and walk. That was like the, the remedy. You can pretty much eat whatever you want if you're, you're walking like eight miles a day or more. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I had a similar experience. I went to Tokyo, uh, at the end of 2015 and I walked like nine miles a day, mm-hmm. um, and on one day I walked 15 miles. I don't know. I think I got lost. It was just, but it was a, it was wild. And I was like popping into like little bakeries and like getting nice little treats. And I was like, you know what? I need this because my blood sugar is like kind of like teetering off the edge here if I don't have little snacks in between because walking is like, a, is amazing. Yes, for sure. It's like, it's something so simple yet so powerful. It's like in the back of your mind, it's like, oh, I don't want to walk there. But wait, my blood sugars will be happier if I just walk there. So just do it. <laughs> yeah. And it, like it doesn't even have to be excessive. You know, you have to go walk a mile after you eat. But it's just like, I don't know, your body responds so well to movement. And I think, you know, we're not going to get into talking about exercise on this on the, this episode, maybe on our, uh, our follow up on our diet and wellness one. But um, yeah, like your body likes to move. So, you know, give it what it wants. Yes, exactly. I would say one thing. Um, uh, I don't want to go ahead of what you're planning to ask, but my my I guess negative experience with with eating a little too whimsically was um, one night we had um, pizza, which was amazing, and then after the pizza we had this. It was like this calzone type thing filled with um, Nutella and like, I don't even know what the heck it was. It was just, it was Nutella filled bread essentially and it was massive and I ate tons of it and that was towards the end of the night um, and I went to sleep literally obviously like an hour after eating it and I woke up. Generally, if I knew I, if I, if I eat something higher carb at night, my body just kind of will wake me up in the middle of the night. So I'm like, "Uh, let me check my blood sugars. Let's see what my number is. Um, And I was so high. I think it was like 360, I don't know, 360 something. And obviously by the time you wake up from that and you do corrective doses, you're just exhausted from that. So that was one thing I like live and learn experience that from the rest of the trip after that, I'm like, I'm not eating anything excessively sugary or carby after like 8 PM, because at that point it's just so difficult to, you know, get a control over that, that late night spike. Yeah. And I mean, and it like robs you of the joy of actually having it too, right? 
Yes, exactly. Um, it's funny you mentioned pizza. Like, also, Chinese, pizza, Chinese food, and Mexican food are like, man, sometimes it's a trap because it just lasts <laughs> like that. That glycemic index is so high, uh, mm-hmm. and it lasts such a long time. It's like you know, if you it, one plus the other, you know, so one plus one sometimes is three, right, or whatever. It's yes. just your your body just continues to react. Um. But I want to talk a little bit about like your your mindset on like why you you know how you were rewarding yourself and like what a difference that made for you while you were in France and I and I think looking at that that soft edge of you know hey first of all I think there are no there is no such thing as like a perfect diabetic right and but you're like you know what I'm on vacation I am setting my intention to enjoy as many croissants as possible mm-hmm. um, and preparing for that. What was that? What was that self-talk like? And you know, how did you feel by doing that versus like making them? You know, making yourself feel bad for it. Yeah, um, I guess just leading up to my trip, I was just really looking forward to it, um, and just I don't know. Just I think again, we can probably all find ourselves in this mindset of just feeling just so limited and just kind of stuck in this. Like I fully can't really, I really, I fully can't live because of this disease. I can't eat A because of the the increased risk of, you know, B and, you know, the increased risk of D later down the road. So I think for me, that's generally my mindset with my choices. And obviously we have to be overall mindful and the do, do the best that we can. But I think sometimes putting so much limitations on ourselves as type ones and just trying so hard can just send this negative momentum and in, in our mindset, which ultimately can just rob us from just really fully embracing and experiencing and adventuring and exploring and really just taking in um, so many opportunities. So I just, again, I just told myself it was going to be a happy, free time and I was going to, you know, have my insulin with me. I was going to check my blood sugars consistently a little bit more often and um, it it was freeing. It, it really allowed me just to, to be present and take, in, take it in a lot more than if I went into the situation with this, you know, I'm going to eat this way, I'm not eating this, you know, because I know there are some people out there that just limit themselves like 99% of carbs because carbs increase your blood sugar. And ultimately I just think there's extremes with everything and you just have to be careful of that because I don't think that even though we have this disease, it doesn't need to rob us from, you know, those little simple things, which ultimately become big things that, um, you know, lead to feeling happy or feeling kind of, um, trapped. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's just part of that self-love too, you know, like doing what you want within a reason, you know, and setting that intention. And I think that's super important. Yes, exactly. Um, I've been, I want to shift gears uh, again here because I've been challenging myself to, um, to ask questions that maybe get different responses as we've done, um, kind of a lot of episodes now and we're starting to, you know, get similar answers to some of these same questions. Um, when you think of somebody who uh, inspires you on a day-to-day basis um, as a type one since you've been diagnosed, uh, whether they're a type one or not, um, who is that for you in your life? Wow, such a 
such a deep question. <laughs> Not prepared for this one. Um, um, I guess I'd have to say my husband, and that's because he, he really is the opposite of me. I'm a very, I mean, as most women are, I'm a very emotional, um, you know, feelings-driven person. If something's stressing me out, whether it's my blood sugar, um, you know, or just, you know, really wanting to eat an entire watermelon and not being able to eat an entire water watermelon, I'll allow it to sometimes, like, really affect me emotionally and let it kind of just, like, rob like joy from you know that moment or from that day I'll let it just kind of carry in um to some of you know whether it's work or or hangout time um for him he he's very logical which you know has its pros and cons but um his logic and passion for life I think um it's important because at the end of the day, you know, we are, I think, applying it to, to managing my type one. He's just always inspiring me not to um, stay stuck in these excessive thoughts, whether it's like this negative thought of like, one day I'm, what if, you know, this type one leads to other diseases or, you know, what if I'm, you know, doing this exercise and, you know, I, I have extremely low blood sugar. I don't know, just a lot of this overthinking I tend to kind of, um, I'm definitely guilty of. And, and for him, he's just very like live in the moment and he's just very thankful and just comes across, um, just this constant peace that he has because ultimately we can just focus on now. We can focus on today and we can be thankful. And I think just practicing that gratitude and having that perspective is just so important, especially in the midst of, again, managing this disease. So Again, I guess he would be my my go-to inspiration of just having that mindset because ultimately that um, that mindset is really what sets the pace for um, our day to day and and our, our future really. And and when he when he says those things and like really focuses in on like the gratitude and um, sort of that acceptance and being present. Uh, what are the things that you think of when you, uh, things that you want to be grateful for, uh, you know, especially when you're having those moments where, you know, uh, your husband's able to kind of center you a little bit? Um, well, I'm grateful for, for him, of course, just for that, for that reminder. But I guess like more specifically, um, I, I'm just thankful for the opportunity of, having this disease, I mean, sometimes I think like if someone were to, you know, come up to me and say, if I, you know, use my magical wand and cure, cure your disease, like, will you let me like, sometimes it's, it's, it sounds crazy, but I don't know if I would, because like being given, or I don't know what word you want to be used for that, whether it's given or cursed with this, this disease, um, to manage, it has like empowered me to, um, really, I mean, naturally I love to help people and I love to, um, serve and just pour into people, whether that's with like support or education or anything, that's kind of the purpose and drive behind happy pancreas is just to kind of add some happy in the midst of, sadness in the midst of stress in the midst of the the day-to-day -day. and I think um this disease has kind of helped me create that niche for myself where I'm like pouring my energy and what I've kind of created to do is just like help people and like if I didn't have this I wouldn't have those opportunities or I wouldn't have connected with so many people or I wouldn't have been able to help um the people that I have so far so yeah I I I understand that. I think because 
for two reasons. Uh, first of all, like a cure sounds great. Um, am I holding my breath for it? Uh, no, uh, for a couple of different reasons. But like, number one, like I can't control it. Um, yeah. I know people are working really hard. There's a lot of amazing organizations raising money. And, you know, ultimately those things don't just happen. Like, you know, they happen over time. And, and there's plenty of, even the way that I treat, I have an older Medtronic pump. Um, I'm up for a new one soon, so I'm excited for that. But, like, this is a good time as any. The best time to have type 1 diabetes is right yes. now. There's a lot yeah. of technology. Um, also, if you had to draw a name of a chronic disease out of a hat, um, type 1 diabetes is pretty manageable. Certainly, yeah. there are days where I really wish I didn't have it. But um, I'm happy to, you know, continue to strive to be to be better and, and be normal. And also, like, I feel pretty good. And um the third reason is kind of like selfish but it's like it's a little bit of what makes me interesting like i have a podcast about it right it's a little bit of you know it's it's part of who i am and these are uh, type 1 diabetics are my people so um certainly i would love to shift that group into a bunch of people who used to have type 1 diabetes but you know we'll wait for that uh when that when that time comes yes so yeah i totally uh yeah, I totally agree. I mean, there there are many people that I follow with other, you know, chronic illnesses and um at the end of the day, like you said, that keyword is it's manageable. Um, you know, more manageable for others. Um or you know, more manageable for some than others, but ultimately, you know, we do have so many tools whether it's like the CGM or the pump and these injections and ch- being able to check our blood sugar just so quickly. Um Ultimately, you know, it is, it's a lot, but we do, we have been given the tools and it is something that's, um, uh, like you said, completely manageable. Um, in that same vein, um, are there things that you're hopeful for from a type one diabetic perspective? Like as, as we look into like this kind of cool technology, golden age of like things that are available, um, and things that are coming, um, here in the next decade or so, um, what, what do you, what do you think? What do you think, when you think about the future of type one, uh, what things are you excited about? Um, I would be excited about the like official launch of something that, and and I've briefly seen it, um, but I don't know like the science behind it or even what it's called, but like checking your blood sugar, like we wouldn't, we shouldn't have to check, prick our fingers. Like it should be more simple, just like a little thing that, you know, is, well, obviously people have CGMs is probably what I'm like <laughs> explaining, but not, not something as I guess large as a CGM, just like something smaller, more simple. Like you can just like scan it or something. I don't know. I haven't really jumped into the, into the leap of CGM or pump. Um, maybe cause I am just newer, newly diagnosed and just, um, my shots can be very painful and I get like excessive bruising and everything. So sometimes having something in me 24 seven just seems a little, uh, truthfully just scary. And I, I just, uh, it's the unknown of how my body is going to respond to that. But I guess just the, the more simplicity and just easier, easier access to knowing what our blood sugars are and, um, yeah, easier access to knowing what our blood sugars are. Yeah. I'm kind of in the same boat. I don't, I don't have a CGM, um, for, for different reasons, but I think, you know, and I have an older pump, I'm really, and, you know, the biggest thing for me is like, hey, this works for me. And so I think that also speaks to every type one is different. And we all like, you know, you're on multiple daily injections, some people still use Lantus and multiple daily injections or pens. 
um, just because it's, we all have a different lives and, you know, we mm-hmm. have to adapt our lives to, um, to whatever we, however we live. Uh, I got my pump when I was 19 or tw- 19 or 20 and I was mm-hmm. like, I resisted it for years cause I thought it wasn't cute. I thought it wasn't mm-hmm. sexy. I was like, yeah, this is, this isn't, this isn't great, but actually I, I like it a lot. It hasn't, it hasn't made me any, any more <laughs> self-conscious. So, um, it made you less cuter. Yeah. People <laughs> tell me all the time. They're like, God, this, <laughs> if only you didn't have that pump. Um, um, I, I also asked this question to almost all of my guests. Like, um, if you came across somebody and I'm sure you interact, like you said, with a lot of not only type ones, but other people with chronic illnesses. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll, I'll broaden that question for you, not to not just diabetes, but like anybody with a chronic illness, you, you've got, you're about to get on a plane, you run into them, you've got like a minute to tell them um, one thing. What is it that you would tell them as somebody, you know, from your unique experience? Um, I don't know. That's, that's a hard question too. I guess just to, um, educating yourself, I feel like is crucial just because, you know, I feel, and maybe this is going a little bit off of a tangent, but I just feel like doctors in general are kind of limited with sometimes the knowledge and, um, background that they give you, um, just like listening to your body, um, just reading up on whatever you're suffering through, just to like, just to research the heck out of it, just to make sure that you're, um, again, going back to fueling and feeding your body with, um, the best foods and supplements possible. Um, and just to, to use it as an opportunity, um, to, to connect with others and in the same position, like reach out, find somebody else that, you know, has that disease. Um, just because community is so crucial, I think in the midst of managing anything difficult in our lives. Um, so just again, that connectivity, um, researching, educating ourselves, um, as a type one, I feel like that's literally what has saved me. So, so many times of just like, whether it's, you know, getting rid of something as simple as eggs or, you know, increasing, um, my protein in my, in my diet, there's just little things that, you know, we, we have so much material, uh, at the tip of our fingertips and just spending that time investing into learning about the disease, um, just to educate yourself so you can just take care of yourself. <laughs> I think, I, I think your cat agrees. Yes. Uh, there, there's been multiple cats appear on this podcast, mine included. So, uh, yeah, do not even feel weird about that. He's just trying to, he's just trying to have his moment in the, in the spotlight. <laughs> Sorry. No, but I, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think like the more there's so many resources out there that are available. I mean, even you mentioned like from minute one, you're on Google searching furiously. Um, yeah. You know, getting connected has never been easier, but also it still takes that step to be like, hey, I want to get connected. I want to find this yes. information. I want to make myself my, my journey with type one different or improve it or work on something. So um, I totally echo that sentiment. I think it's super important. Um for you specifically, um, what have been places that you've found where you're like, you know what, this resource was really useful. Anything that you could recommend to people who were looking to get started on a similar journey to yours? Um, well, I mean, with type one in general, I think, um, again, just going 
I think not overwhelming yourself. I mean, naturally, again, I'm, I'm a researcher, so I can just spend hours on like specifics. So not to like, I don't want to overwhelm anybody with like two specific suggestions. But um, you mentioned Whole30. I think Whole30 is just a good, I think it's like, it's doable. Um, there's so many resources for that. And I think ultimately with managing your blood sugars, eating healthy, clean foods is really important. And I think Whole30 is a good, um, is a, an amazing place to start just because it's going to really help eliminate a lot of those foods that um, cause those roller coaster blood sugars that everybody's, you know, trying to ultimately avoid. So I think reiterating what you shared earlier about the Whole30, I think anybody jumping onto that would reap um, many benefits from it. And it's a good place to start. Yeah, I, I agree. I th- and I think, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you mentioned the resources, like there's so many questions and they do such a great job over at Whole30 answering yeah. the questions that are, um, that not only type ones have, but also other chronic illnesses and, you know, just regular people wondering, you know, what do I eat? How, how do I plan? And uh, they do a fantastic job. So totally echo that sentiment. I'll include uh, in the show notes a, uh, a link to my Whole30 success story on Whole30's blog, uh, as well as some of the other diabetes resources that they have posted. So um, you can count on that, everybody. Um, as we're kind of finishing up, um, I want to make sure that we um, that, that all of our listeners know where they can follow you and contact you online. So uh, this is your this is your chance. Plug uh, plug happy pancreas. Where do we find you? Yeah, so you can follow me at happy pancreas on Instagram, or you can go to happypancreas.com. Um, my current focus is doing that cheat guide for Think Like a Pancreas. It's such a great book. Um, again, you mentioned resources. Resources. I think uh, Think Like a Pancreas uh, by Gary Shiner is a great um, a great read. It gives you amazing tools and amazing um, background on how to fine-tune your, your dosing and fine-tune your foods and what foods do what. Um, it can be a little overwhelming uh, as with some, you know, diabetic reading, which is why I have the cheat guide and you can, um, click the link in my bio if you want to join in under the, the weekly cheat guide for that. Um, so yeah, if you're looking for encouragement, support, um, recipes, that's all on my Instagram where you can always message me directly. Perfect. We all definitely need more recipes in our life. That is for sure. So um, I'll definitely try to uh, jump in on that too. I think Think Like a Pancreas is an amazing book. Yeah, my only caveat I ever tell people is that, yeah, it can be a little bit overwhelming like most diabetic literature can be. Um, Fantastic. Well, Whitney, before uh, before we close the interview, uh, any parting thoughts, anything that we didn't cover? Um, I don't think so. I guess just um, just a friendly reminder to everybody just – not be too hard on yourselves, you know, not, not to overstress, um, reach out for support. I'm here. Rob's here. There's a team of, you know, type ones online that are more than willing to answer questions or help you problem solve, um, any things that are, you know, pain points in your life for, for managing this disease. But, um, I'm thankful for being a part of this podcast and, um, just thankful for the community and just the resources that we have. Well, uh, I'm thankful you were able to make the time to come on, and I really appreciate it. And uh, your insights were fantastic. And uh, yeah, I, I echo that sentiment. We're all here to, we're literally making ourselves available because uh, you know we we've been in those situations, and we want to be able to help other people. So uh, please reach out. <laughs> uh, which uh, reach out to the cats too, because they need uh, they need that extra attention. 
Yes. Uh, well, Whitney, thanks so much for your time, and uh, I'll include all your links to uh, to Happy Pancreas in the show notes, and uh, we'll keep an eye on uh, everything that you're doing uh, until then. Thanks for listening to Diabetics Doing Things. Subscribe to our newsletter for weekly emails and behind-the-scenes content. And if you or someone you know has an amazing story to share, send an email to rob at diabeticsdoingthings.com.